Hello, this is Ian Wolfe. This episode of Diffusion was first broadcast on the 19th of July, 2017. There'll be a new show next week. Diffusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your genes. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, Meow Ludo Meow Meow returns to talk about the five pillars of biohacking. We welcome back emerging technology evangelist Meow Ludo Meow Meow, who founded the biohacking movement in Australia. Meow's biohacking centres around molecular biology. I visited him at the Australia Technology Park in Redfern and began by asking him, what are the five pillars of biohacking? There's a lot of people doing biohacking who are doing things like uh, nutrition and nootropics and a lot of traditional biohackers want to actually kind of distance ourselves from them. So there's, there's like this idea that, you know, going to the gym, you're a biohacker or, or like, you know, eating 100 supplements, you're a biohacker. You're not. It's the short of it. Basically, a lot of the people who are doing this thing, promoting, you know, going to the gym or eating heaps of supplements are explicitly just trying to make money. They're trying to sell products. So they seem a bit like snake oil merchants or something like that. So we've decided there's five pillars of biohacking. There's molecular biology, microbiology, grinding, putting technology under your skin, equipment building, and bioinformatics. You're one of those five pillars, you're a biohacker. So basically, the whole supplement thing, none of it really has been proved to work yet. And none of it, even the stuff that even it gets proved to work, it's not a radical difference. I agree. And also there's another thing, which is that even if one thing does work, that company could make another thing that doesn't and use their branding to kind of pull the wool over your eyes and make it happen. You know what? The placebo effect works. 17% of people are probably going to have something. But I think that this is kind of a different type of hacking. I feel like this this is more like a, uh, a personal hacking, like body hacking or something like that. With grinding's a little bit tricky because it actually takes in a whole heap of these different disciplines, but I mainly love it in biohacking because it's cool. And I, I don't know, going to the gym's kind of cool if you like going to the gym, but it's not like, not for me. I think, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> on the other side, so we have some biohackers that, that are thinking about things like ecology. What does ecology fit into this? And we're proposing maybe that's a different form of biohacking, which is actually like terraforming hacking or planet hacking or something like this, because it's at a scale which doesn't directly correlate to what we're working on. So we're generally working at the molecular level inside microbes. That's kind of the the big thing which drives it. But it's also about how do we interact with that technology and how do we build the technology to to use with it. I saw an Israeli student project where they were looking to engineer scalp bacteria that would reverse the thinning of male pattern baldness. So it's personal biome stuff. Is there much of that going on? 
yes, I'm actually working on a startup which does something very, very similar to this. There's a much better way of doing it. The big thing we're going to see in biohacking now is actually that blending of the molecular biology and microbiology with the body hacking kind of thing, like that personal hacking. So that'll be like things you'll start to see. Microbiome engineering will be a big one. It will be very unregulated. And that's where you'll see like supplement type things become real science. What we'll see is a blooming of DIY gene therapy. That's going to be huge, right? No hackers are really doing it now that I know of. There could be some, but there's nothing really stopping them. Uh, Josiah Zane is selling a DIY CRISPR kit. If you can get the tools to do a DIY CRISPR kit, you could very easily get the tools to do uh, a type of gene therapy using adeno-associated viruses because the plasmids from, from these have the same regulation and come from the same sources. So there's nothing to really stop people from doing DIY gene therapy now. And I'm very, very interested in potentially doing it to myself. In fact, we have seen some. BioViva, Elizabeth Parrish actually did some, but it's, it's, it was done in a controlled clinical setting. So is she a biohacker? Well, kind of, she's not a, she's not a scientist but she engaged with it, got this manufactured. The only thing that makes her not a biohacker is that a doctor administered it to her instead of herself. There's also, I can't recall his name, a guy in the US who is a scientist who inserted the plasmids for growth hormone releasing hormone into his leg using a high electric current. Yep. Fuck. <laughs> 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 I'd read the, just the like the blurb of that story and I was like, this is crazy. Like, man, there's way better ways to put DNA inside your cells. When I saw that, I was like, anyone who wants to electroporate his leg probably isn't going to have very sound science in the rest of what he's doing. Like, you know, we have chemical, chemicals like DMSO um, and you can just put the DNA in that your entire body will taste like garlic for a while. But it's a very good way of just transfecting the cells underneath the skin. It's, it, you have hairs that, that go through the layers of the skin. So this, we know the DMSO can creep in there. DNA can get to where it needs to go. So there's, there's some pretty simple ways of, of transfecting your cells. If you, if you did a cursory search of Google Scholar, there's review papers that evaluate the merits uh, of each of these methods and like, Sticking electrodes in your skin and running a current through it, that's more like a, a, a sexual kink, I think, rather than a good scientific methodology. I think his intention was to make it a temporary transfer, experimentally, and the electrophoresis was going to be temporary, was his idea. I just hope he had a safe word. <laughs> he used anaesthetic. So that's good enough. Um, he did go to George Church afterwards to get monitored. Maybe he should have gone to George Church to get monitored before. <laughs> I should read the paper before I comment too much on it. <laughs> so any plasmid can be only temporary. Like, if you want to do the science properly, put that gene under the control of a promoter that it's never going to get exposed to unless you want it. You know, put some random chemical like IPTG, which we have promoters for, or, or like arabinose, I think is, uh, sorry, actually, put it under the control of something like arabinose, which is a very unusual sugar you find in nature, put that in a shampoo and then when you rub it on it will cause that gene to be activated that's that's the type of stuff the other thing you can do like light activated plasmid so you know it's only when a certain type of uv hits it it's pretty unusual you can just put that on once a night and then you can control it yeah i don't know about sticking electrodes in, in your muscles <laughs> there's easier ways 
Well, also, I mean, at the moment, you can go to a pharmacy and you can, and or online, and you can get all sorts of gut bacteria. But my understanding is that most of that doesn't actually survive your stomach and never actually gets into your gut. I'm actually just going to say as well how hypocritical I am when I'm like, there's easier ways to do things, and then I got the Opal card stuck under my hand, went, to, went for surgery to catch public transport, so I shouldn't be so critical. Um, yeah, so a lot of the supplements get broken down in the gut. You know, this is a big, this is a big part of the reason that uh, GMO foods are actually, there's a strong biological basis for why they're safe, is that your stomach degrades everything. In fact, that's its job. If it didn't, we'd be getting sick all the time. So it, it, it basically kind of works as a way of breaking everything down into the smaller components that your body can then absorb. What's it called? DNA. DNA gets um, really heavily modified to the point that it's not DNA anymore inside the stomach. Basically, the bases come off the backbone, and that means that it's, it's, it's not able to be taken up by the body in any other place. I can go, I can go really heavily into that, but we're not going to. Jim, if it's safe. Did you hear about the purple rice that was developed in China where they're getting anthocyanins into rice from other types of rice? So it's still rice genes, but they're more purple, so they're more antioxidant and anti-cancer. So generally when we're working with GMOs, we call this transgenics. This movement is called cisgenics. I love transgenics and cisgenics. I think that what we're seeing now is the maturation of gene modification technology. So some of the earliest GMO stuff we're doing we could only do it as a proof of concept to show it works. Then we, the low-hanging fruit that have a high value, because you, you only have a few players in these industries, would say, let's make a pesticide, let's make a herbicide, because everyone needs this. There's strong demand and there's, there's no plants that have this ability, even though they could very easily have it. So those are the things that got picked up. And now we're seeing things like, okay, well, what are some traits in one cultivar that we might want to give to another cultivar that might take us 600 years to selectively breed, but we can just move it across manually. And, and this, this is mature gene modification technology. Things like CRISPR allow us to do this routinely. So for gene therapies, we're seeing things like uh, BioViva, where Elizabeth Parrish had to fly to a South American country to get this administered. And this is, this is because Western countries with high levels of regulation aren't really keen on gene therapy. So in Australia, there's less than 100 people who are getting gene therapy at the moment. Very hard to access the trials and very strictly controlled and regulated. This actually goes back to, I think it was the late 80s, might have been early 90s, they did a, a gene therapy for some sort of leukemia or something like this and they actually killed a lot of kids. Maybe it was for cystic fibrosis. Double check this, but I think it was about 12 kids went through. They gave them a gene therapy and a viral vector and all the kids got cured of cystic fibrosis and six of them got leukemia. Right, so the problem was they, they took a working copy of the CFTR gene, put a very, very heavy promoter in front of it. It's always expressed to make sure that this thing, no matter where in the genome it goes, it would express and six of those kids got it put in front of a proto-oncogene because it was integrating into the genome at random. This is why CRISPR is good, right? It, that wouldn't happen with CRISPR. Um, so, so the problem was that we know why this gene therapy failed. They gave a viral load, they wanted to make sure this works. So they gave this, these kids so many virus particles into the body that if you put that much of any particle into the body, it would cause anaphylactic reaction and all these other things. So, so there's problems with the, with the delivery mechanism. Yeah, so there's a couple of cases with kids where once, one, it caused cancer, one, they had an anaphylactic reaction. So they didn't know what they were doing well enough. And basically, unfortunately, with experimental treatments, you can't always know what the outcomes are going to be, even if you've tested it in animals and things like this. So unfortunately, it pushed it all back and increased the regulation. 
that also stifles innovation. And that, that's a big problem in all sciences is where is that balance between regulation and innovation? Because they, they, they feed back on each other. So now it looks like uh, Peter Thiel is trying to convince Donald Trump to ease back some of the regulation on the FDA to hopefully allow some of these companies to uh, try more gene therapy on humans. I'm a bit confused because my understanding is the US doesn't actually ban this stuff. It only bans government funding for that research, which means a private company that has the money can pretty much do what they like. That's right, but there's, there's, there's more complications to it. So if I want to run clinical trials, I actually need to run them in places like a hospital. So that's, that's where this stuff starts to come in. And then uh, is, is, that, is that hospital government funded? Because if not, it's going to be charging me a premium. Then the people going to that hospital know they're going to a hospital that someone's making money from rather than being a government-funded one, so they're worried about the quality and how they might be exploited. So it basically factors into all these different things that cause it to be out of the reach of even big companies like people like Martin Shkreli. Martin Shkreli is very interested in gene therapy. He's waiting for the laws to be relaxed again before it makes business sense. But um, what we'll see potentially is a rise in experimental gene therapy in countries with less regulation but huge amounts of money. Uh, we might see this in places like India, China. Those are places that I would expect to see this technology come about. Australia won't be there. We'll follow whatever the US does, unfortunately. That was Meow Ludo Meow Meow talking about his biohacking adventures. Meow will be back to talk about his Mars jars in a future episode. You can find out about the workshops and courses run at the BioFoundry by going online to foundry.bio. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. I hear what you're saying and I follow your arguments, but you're wrong. Here's why. Two plus two equals five in Australia. Australian Attorney General George Brandis and the Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull want companies that offer encrypted messaging software to allow police to break the end-to-end encryption without going through the front door of obtaining the keys from the owners of the messages. On being told that that's mathematically impossible, the Prime Minister declared that tech companies would just have to find a way. Australians are used to hearing how we're upside down yet don't fall off the globe, and how our animals are just weird, but it's news to most of us that in Australia, the laws of Canberra can trump the laws of nature. End-to-end encrypting your message with the public key of the person you want to talk to converts the message to unreadable nonsense, thereby preventing anyone but the intended recipient from reading it. The encrypted message is sent over the internet in an unreadable form, and then decrypted only by the person you sent the message to at the other end, using their private key. Even you can't decrypt the message once you've sent it, only the person you sent it to has the private key to unlock the message. The companies providing the software can't read the messages because they don't have the private keys, and there's no clear text version of the message stored on their servers. The only way to break such encryption is by deliberately weakening security by putting in a back door. The back doors could be used by police in their investigations, or by hostile foreign governments, 
or by opposing political parties, or by rival corporations, or by criminals, or by terrorists. There's no way to put a backdoor into any security system we all use without seriously weakening the security of everyone. Popular end-to-end encryption phone apps include Signal and WhatsApp, both of which Prime Minister Turnbull admits to using himself. To keep political discussions inside the Liberal National Party secret, from other factions in the party, and from the public. Attorney General George Brandis has refused to table in Parliament his WhatsApp messages between himself, government ministers, and public servants. Encryption is also used on the internet to allow people to make financial transactions securely. Without secure encryption, internet commerce and banking would be impossible. Secure encryption is crucial for the internet to work, and access to a functional internet is essential for the functioning of modern civil society, both arts and science. It's unreasonable in a liberal democracy for governments to demand to read any of your private messages at will, and it's unreasonable for them to threaten everyone with a broken internet and broken mobile phones. Tech journalist Asher McLean from Znet pointed out to Prime Minister Turnbull that cryptographers have shown that breaking end-to-end encryption is mathematically impossible. Won't the laws of mathematics trump the laws of Australia? And then aren't you also forcing people onto decentralised systems as a result? Prime Minister Turnbull replied, The laws of mathematics are, are um, very commendable, but the only law that applies in Australia is the law of Australia. That clip of the Prime Minister and the laugh track are from ABC's Mad as Hell. The proposed legislation is reminiscent of that time in 1897 when the Indiana State Parliament passed legislation stating that pi was exactly equal to 3.2. Fortunately at the time, a visiting professor of mathematics from Purdue University persuaded the Senate to reject the bill. Even further back when the ancient Greek mathematician Hippasus proved that the square root of 2 couldn't be written as a fraction, he was drowned at sea by outraged Pythagorean mathematicians. This proposed new law isn't an innovation of Australia's Prime Minister. It was copied from the British Prime Minister, Theresa May, her snoopers charter. UK Prime Minister May is the woman who passed legislation banning all things that alter the human mind, with exemptions for tobacco, alcohol and caffeine only. This made books, music, art, science, medicine and other people illegal overnight. Attorney General Brandis claims that he knows that breaking the unbreakable codes is feasible and can be done in real time because the chief cryptographer at Britain's GCHQ surveillance agency told him so. Apparently no other cryptographic expert can dissuade him from the idea. The result is that the American companies that provide the majority of end-to-end encryption software are being pressured either into putting in a backdoor and breaking their products or to accomplish the impossible. Prime Minister Turnbull insisted that it wasn't a backdoor he was demanding at all, but simply a way in that wasn't through the front door or the side window. He started his answer with, I'm not a cryptographer, but which should be flashing red lights to anyone who's heard someone expose their ignorance by saying, I'm not a scientist, but... Prime Minister Turnbull was asked what he understood by the term backdoor if it wasn't a way to weaken security to allow anyone in without the keys. Yeah, well, a backdoor is typically 
a flaw in a uh, software program that uh, some that it perhaps the the uh, you know the developer of the software program is not aware of, uh, and that somebody who knows about it can exploit. And this is uh, and 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 you know if there are flaws in in software programs, obviously, and that's why you get updates on your phone and your computer all the time. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about lawful access. He failed to say what he was talking about. That clip was from ABC. Backdoors are backdoors, whether they're lawful or not. The assumption is that criminals and terrorists will only use insecure software that obeys the new laws, rather than use the many alternative sources of software, or even just write their own. Facebook and Apple have said they will resist the push to weaken the security of their products. Members of the European Parliament have proposed a bill banning backdoors in security software and to force companies to add encryption to messages that are currently clear. Damned if they do, and damned if they don't. Online, commentators have not been quiet. Simon Elvery tweeted, Truly, Turnbull's comments on mathematics and law are amongst the stupidest things I've heard a politician say. And competition is strong. Someone has created a JavaScript end-to-end encryption program that runs in your browser, so you can send private messages for free on a website called brandis.io. Opposition leader Bill Shorten said we're all in this together and that he is reviewing the situation. The new package of laws will also give the Australian Federal Police the ability to remotely monitor computers and networks by breaking into them, a power currently held by the Australian Surveillance and Intelligence Organisation, ASIO. The package will go further and force the makers of phone handsets to weaken security by adding a backdoor into mobile phones. This federal government doesn't do computers very well. They changed the National Broadband Network's future-proof fibre network to slower copper coaxial cable. George Brandis introduced privacy-destroying metadata laws that scoop up all your online and phone activities and then was famously unable to explain what his definition of metadata was. Well, I, the, my, 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 the, what you're viewing on the internet is not what we're interested in, and that's not what we regard... But you'll be able to see whether I've been to that website, or that website, or that website. Well, what we'll be able... What the security agencies want to know, to be retained, is the, is the, the electronic address of the website. When a connection is made between uh, a one computer terminal and a web uh, address, that fact, and the time of the, uh, of, of the connection, and the duration of the connection, is what we mean by metadata in that context. But that is telling you where I've been on the web. That clip was from Sky News. Last year, the Turnbull government imposed the Netflix tax on digital downloads and streaming. They're introducing a monthly internet NBN tax. They're extending Australia's goods and services tax to online purchases under $1,000 and demanding that foreign companies at their own expense, collect the tax and deliver it to the Australian tax office. Online merchants such as Amazon, eBay and Alibaba have said they'd rather refuse service to all Australians than pay the expense of collecting the new tax. The Australian tax office has suggested it would block companies that didn't comply from operating in Australia. After all, Australia already has internet censorship. Australia would become isolated from legal global internet commerce. Australian retailers have been lobbying for this law, 
but they won't benefit from its passing because Australians will just find ways to bypass the blocks. Online purchases over $1,000 will have tax collected from the buyer when they arrive at customs. This may be the last year you can buy cheap things online from Australia legally. It's suspected that if quantum computers live up to their promise, that they'll someday be able to quickly decipher the world's current secret codes. At present, a world-class supercomputer would take over a billion years. The way to be even more secure is to use quantum physics to encode your messages, quantum cryptography. A Chinese research group recently made a big step in that direction by using quantum teleportation to copy information from an atom on an orbiting satellite and transmit that information to an atom on Earth. Such innovative technology will be illegal in Australia, the UK, and whichever of the Five Eyes Spying Alliance agree to pass these anti-security laws. Of course, if the British surveillance agency GCHQ really could break end-to-end encrypted messages in real time, as George Brandis insists they told him, then they wouldn't need him to pass legislation to force companies to weaken the security. They'd already be able to read the messages. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to hear your voice on radio? Record a voice memo on your phone or use the voicemail tab on the website. We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please do send me an email so I know you're listening and would like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. Please support the show at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Checking production was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 27 stations on the community radio network including two RBM in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales, eight Triple C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, two MVR in Nambucca Valley, and three MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website www.diffusionradio.com that's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than 900 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube channel at youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. 
in the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.